Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. My guest today is Ed Jennings. Ed is the Chief Executive Officer of QuickBase, a leader in no-code technology. I look forward to getting his perspectives on how automation, low-code and no-code platforms are enabling organizational nimbleness and the role that citizen automation will play in the future of work. Ed's been a CEO multiple times over, a CMO and a COO of tech companies. He was also the general manager of ADP's Taxware SaaS business. ADP Taxware was sold to Vista Equity Partners in 2012, which is the private equity firm that owns QuickBase today. Uh, Ed, welcome to Technovation. It's great to speak with you today. Yeah, thanks, Peter. I was looking forward to our conversation. I have been as well. Thank you. Well, I, I gave a brief uh, introduction to, to your background and a little bit about QuickBase, but maybe take a moment longer if you wouldn't mind. And for those who may be less familiar with it, uh, describe QuickBase's business, please. Yeah, absolutely. So, so QuickBase is, uh, is a, has been in the business for about 20 years, and we've been doing citizen automation, which we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, for that time, we uh, were fortunate to have about 5,500 customers, enterprises, um, and it kind of runs the gamut between Fortune 100, we have about half the Fortune 100, all the way through to smaller enterprises, so the, the whole range. And, um, and really, what's interesting for me as a, as a year into the journey with QuickBase is how this category of automation, intelligent automation, hyper automation, different words for it, is really, really coming of age. Well, let's talk a bit, a bit about that whole notion of citizen automation, a topic that certainly is arising uh, a lot, but I'm sure there, there's some people listening, Ed, who are less familiar with the concept. Can you just define the term, please? Yeah, yeah, and absolutely. And I'll show, maybe explain in the context of, 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 of adjacencies and whatnot. So citizen automation is the notion that, that people outside of IT, people without professional development and coding backgrounds can write applications real applications that your business productivity runs on, either internal or external. Sometimes people ask, like, were you like this, you like that? And, and so the range that we describe a little bit is on the one hand, you have more visual development environments uh, that allow professional developers to maybe move more quickly, to develop more with, you know, with, with fewer defects, to, to do things at a faster pace. And and that would be something like you know, Microsoft's Power Apps. It's still used almost exclusively by professional developers in an IT organization. Um, and that's what they oftentimes call low code. Um, it's, it's, again, it's a productivity tool, very useful. The other end of the extreme, sometimes people say, well, you like smart sheets. And we say like, well, we do some of those things, but that's more of a team collaboration tool. It's more of you know, sharing information, a matrix that can be shared in the cloud. And we see those as the spectrum. And where we see citizen automation and where we've been focused for the last 20 years is, is in between, where you have, it's as ease, it is, is ease of use focused that somebody outside of development, 75% of our builders have no development or coding experience. They have no connection directly, they're not in IT, but they're writing you know, production applications that, that some of the world's largest businesses run on. Um, but so it's that, that balance in between. The analogy I sometimes use is a little bit what Home Depot did for do-it-yourselfers is where we see an interesting and expanding role for business technologists and companies. Gardner thinks they're about 41% of employees. And that means like about a billion of the knowledge workers could be in this band of what they call business technologists. People have the acumen, they have the analytical capability, they have the interest to self-solve, but not necessarily the, the development background. And that's, that's where it fits. So they're always with professional contractors. If you wanted to rebuild your you know, kitchen or rebuild a house, and there's always an owner with a screwdriver, but 
that do-it-yourself category and the analogy that might want to build a home deck or might want to, you know, replace a vanity, a bathroom, that, that, that business technologist is, is the group that we're most focused in on, on enabling. And how, talk, talk a bit about literally from, you know, kind of the get-go, what does that training look like? How, how as you, as you point out, um, a lot of your customers are people who do not have deep technical acumen. They, it is in fact their business acumen, as you point out, that make them particularly valuable. And so having solutions that allow them to take what's in their mind in terms of business opportunities or concepts and translating that into technology is very powerful. Uh, but for somebody who's never coded and therefore even the analogies of what you are uh, bringing together might be somewhat foreign to them. What do those very first steps look like? We have a lot uh, of that. And in our legacy, we were we were owned by into it for many years. And so I think a lot of that ease of use uh, legacy is makes uh, for an early builder. We, we call them builders, not coders, uh, deliberately. Um, a lot of times it's just a direct import. They have a complex spreadsheet that they're managing vendor vendors with or or some sort of assets that they're distributed. Uh, and so one very simple way is you import a spreadsheet and then we would generate a relational database and you can make the relationships clear. You can make, and then go from there, build workflows, build notifications. I mean, a whole range create both web and mobile apps are auto-generated. So, so it can start as simple as an import of a spreadsheet we have a visual builder where people have more of a maybe a process view of what they're trying to understand or the, the as is and the to be, and they would model it. And then that would convert into an application. And again, auto generates the database, auto generates the infrastructure, the interface, all those things. It does so much for a builder in the background in terms of the app itself. Um, so those are usually the ways in. They might start with a spreadsheet, they might start with a visual, or they might start just right out, they know. They know relationships. I mean, this, the obvious example would be a, you know, a CRM scenario where you have, you know, accounts, you have contacts, you have, you know, different opportunities, and you're com combining those and creating relationships among those um, is a really straightforward thing to do. Um, so that's uh, that's usually how people get to our platform. And it speaks volumes uh, just how much technology has become strategic to an organization that this concept has is really blossoming in many ways. And I know another catalyst for growth, generally speaking, and for uh, QuickBase more specifically, was in fact the pandemic. Uh, talk a bit about what the the past year and a half or so, uh, which coincides with uh, your tenure uh, by and large, you joined only a couple of months into the, the pandemic and the quarantine for so many. Um, uh, talk a bit about what that did uh, to QuickBase's business. Yeah, it, uh, it's been a huge catalyst for us. And, and I, think, I think more broadly for the category of sort of low code, no code citizen automation. And the reason being it's, it's all about agility and resilience and responsiveness. And, and it's funny thinking about watching the Summer Olympics these days and you're looking at this 100 meter dash and it's amazing to see. And so much of business and technology was, was that same motion, move really fast pre-pandemic. And now it's more agility. How quickly can you stop and start and pivot and respond and constantly? We did a survey of supply chain professionals 79% of them see a weekly or daily disruption to their fundamental supply chain, either a supplier, a vendor, something to do with quality, something to do with quantity. Like that, that amount still today, that disruption and change, means you have to think about your technology and your systems differently because when things go in a straight line, it's just like just-in-time inventory. It's pretty straightforward. You can be very precise and consistent. When things are constantly moving and changing and modifying, it is about resilience. And so um, 
So I think it's really given the notion we need to get people closer to the problem, the tools, this to do it yourself and solve their own. Because if you don't, then they have to do it in spreadsheets. They have to do it in mechanisms that don't scale and are error prone and highly manual and, and are invisible to the rest of the organization. And so that's, um, I think our value prop and the urgency around this category was, was really accentuated because of the pandemic. That makes sense. You talk a lot about the vision of unlocking the full potential of systems, people, and teams. Talk a bit about that that vision. And um, I mean, I can even hear in some of your responses already uh, some of the pathways to that, but I'd love to have you cover that a little bit, little bit more specifically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and we do have great passion around this because it is exciting to see both the business users and, and leaders and as well as sort of IT professionals when they really see what's possible. That's so much of the frustration of getting at data that is embedded in current systems. And now you can unlock that for people. You can have this whole cadre of business technologists that can solve problems that, that they've been waiting to get after or have been able to get after. So it is, it is exciting to be in this business because you see people's you know, visceral and emotional response to it. And, and, and so much of our new businesses are existing builders taking us from a company to company to company. So, but, but the three areas distinctly where we really see adding value to digital operations is, is one in agility. So a lot of times are existing systems. We don't want to be another silo. We don't purport to be another system. We really allow you to customize, to tweak, to modify what might be an existing SAP quote to cash process, what might be an existing Salesforce you know, lead management process. You might just want to create some modification to support your particular business or your particular vertical industry or it allows you to very easily, quickly, allows the business users to modify something that normally would have been a pretty elaborate development project that maybe IT would have done, you would have hired a third-party SI or something like that. So agility is a big piece. The second is, is visibility. I mean, transparency, and just access to the data you already have that sits across a bunch of systems. That is one that um, oftentimes we start with something as simple as almost a dashboard that's pulling out relevant pieces of information across a range of you know, ERP, uh, you know, supply chain systems, CRM systems to the people that need it and just what they need to keep their process or their decisioning going. So real-time analytics, real-time visibility is a big part of, um, of the citizen automation. We call it the agility layer sometimes. And third is just automation. A lot of times, the pain of having to do something. It, they move in some cases off of paper, although paper is still way more prevalent than most people want to admit in their organization. But it's, um, it's spreadsheets being sent around via email. It's data, it's unstructured, it's again, invisible, it's error prone. Those, those three things, agility, visibility, automation are, are the layer uh, that we oftentimes uh, provide. And I mean, it, it, a good example, I think that maybe pulls this together is one of our customers a very large technology company early in the pandemic was all of a sudden seeing their collections start to, you know, the days outstanding skyrocket and, and for kind of obvious reasons in terms of, of just people being very nervous. And, and this is sort of in the May, June window uh, a year ago or so. And so what did they do? They do what most organizations do. Someone in finance started to export from NetSuite a spreadsheet of, of accounts that were delinquent. And so then they started emailing that around to both people in finance and a whole bunch of their sales reps who had relationships to say, can you help us? We need someone to reach out to these folks and sort of chase them for this. And, 
pretty soon their days outstanding actually went to almost 80 days, which is it was it was millions of dollars of cash they weren't collecting. And they tried to create this very manual spreadsheet kind of process. So what they did as a customer is a data analyst in the finance team in two days created an aging receivables application. It didn't replace NetSuite. It just sat on top. And it had a dashboard that would, in real time, pull the information of delinquent accounts out of NetSuite. It would, in real time, look up in Salesforce what reps own those accounts. And then in real time, it would send a notification via Slack because that's how the reps wanted to be notified if one of their accounts was added to the list. All the reps and people in finance had the same dashboard. A lot of the reps use the mobile version of it. A lot of people in finance were more sort of in office and they use the, or or at home, working from home, use sort of a web-based version of it. And just creating that hub with shared visibility and real-time information, they were able to really work that list down. They got rid of the spreadsheets. They got rid of the emailing. They, They were all on the same page. So reps weren't calling accounts that had subsequently paid from when the spreadsheet had gone out, that kind of an answer. And it, and it reduced their days outstanding to 44. Again, it was millions of dollars of cash on hand. And that's not a point solution you'd ever build. It was something that was urgent in their business. They needed an answer for it quickly. They need to integrate with their core systems like Slack and Salesforce and NetSuite. And they need to get rid of a bunch of paper and spreadsheets and emailing that was an inefficient process. And that's that kind of scenario. We see many of those every day in our customers. The, the fact that so many different uh, people within a, co- a corporation can use this, um, to what extent is there a typical persona in terms of the, the ultimate buyer of, of uh, QuickBase's solutions? You talked about, for instance, the great scenario where somebody used QuickBase at a prior firm, goes to a new one and kind of brings it with them. So I can envision like a little bit of a bottom-up foundation to, uh, to QuickBase's use within a company, but the extent to which it comes top-down are, are the, the chiefs or the executives who are typically the buyers um, a, as diverse as the potential users themselves? Yeah, great, great question. Um, yes, we do see a journey. We, we typically enter through the business, not through IT. And there is, you know, and even as we get into some of the world's largest organizations that are using us at scale, I mean, with, with in some cases, hundreds of thousands of end users and hundreds of thousands of builders, it usually starts as you're describing small, like my prior example, it starts with somebody in the finance group. It starts with someone in quality engineering. It starts with somebody in sales operations. It almost always starts with one of these business technologists, do-it-yourselfers that needs to solve a very discrete problem. And, and there were many of those that were created with local governments, state governments, and, and the COVID, like, you know, there was this big application that was supposed to be you know, both for protective equipment, and then later it became about vaccination. And but in the vaccination in particular, I remember um, many states came under our platform because there was this federally funded application that was going to solve the vaccine distribution problem. And it just it just didn't work. It was too complex for most folks. And, and so many states just turned up quickly an app that, that could create a database, that could identify, that people could schedule from, a web interface that would generate QC code that they could get on their phone for when they showed up for their first it would automatically schedule, you know, trigger the scheduling app for their second shot, generate another QC code. It was something that they could use in the in the facilities themselves. It was a very simple app to create, um, but it started with an individual that all of a sudden, in that case, one of the counties in Texas didn't have an answer for how they were going to get the vaccines into people's arms. 
And so we start that way. Our next step is usually, uh, and Geisinger is a large healthcare customer of ours for years. It is a good example. It's that first problem for them was HIPAA compliance. They, they own many hospitals throughout the Northeast. And, and so they got through that, but that exposure to their compliance team said, wait, we could run SOX compliance through this. We could run cybersecurity through this. We could run a whole range. This could be an entire governance risk and compliance platform. And so that's usually when we break through to a team and then that's a whole nother level. Then it's usually hundreds of builders in an enterprise maybe thousands or tens of thousands of end users that might use it intermittently or periodically. Um, and then the final step is, is when you really break through to the enterprise use, where they look at us to solve a long tail, whole bunch of problems across the organization. And that usually entails us really at that point, establishing a much different, more strategic relationship with the CIO. They've always looked at the security, but now they're like, okay, how does this scale? Like, let me talk about governance. How do I have visibility into who's building what and what are they connecting it to? And how can I control that? Who access access to what and who doesn't? And how do I have really a proper governance model? Because that becomes the gating factor of going from a team or an individual to a proper enterprise deployment. Really interesting. And I, I wonder how often you see um, the notion of citizen automation and builders emerging from across the organization as viewed um, as a threat to the IT organization. You know, in so many big companies, the preponderance of technology talent is in IT if it's not a tech-specific company like, your, like yours, for example. Um, and so as a result, they're used to kind of uh, in some cases anyway, having a little bit more of a walled garden of setting standards of being the ones to kind of, you know, test, uh, test different technologies that are being used. And obviously, this is a, uh, a technology that turns that on its head uh, in some cases. And as you just described, there's often a lot of use before you reach the CIO and, begin, and that becomes relevant. Do, do you see scenarios where CIOs need to become like, you know, gain comfort with the, the whole idea of the rest of the organization becoming more immersed in technology? Oh, yes, 100%. I mean, it, this is another democratization of IT wave. I mean, there's the bring your own device, and then there was SaaS itself. This is another one of those notions. And I think in those other journeys, once they got momentum, they, momentum came organically. It was a grassroots momentum for some Salesforce application, for example, 20 years ago. And now, eventually, for it to become production quality and for it to become enterprise grade, IT does have to embrace it. So a lot of times they're the biggest resistance to any of these waves is cultural always. And so a lot of times our first real foray into a centralized decision-making process is maybe through the CIO of a business unit at a, at a global you know, organization. Frequently that becomes our champion. Frequently the, the, the head of digital transformation who is not maybe charged with keeping the lights on for the infrastructure, but looking at new technologies and, and new ways to innovate and new ways to adapt and move more quickly. That individual oftentimes, um, she can become a real champion for us. Um, but it's also, we've had to evolve and, and we've gotten great marks for this governance model isn't a little thing. I mean, you are empowering people to build applications that can access data from systems of record and, and bi-directionally put data back into those systems of record and having clean, tight governance. I mean, security, is a given. And there's always obviously all the, the rightful hoops we jump through. And I spent 12 years in cybersecurity, so I'm uh, well aware and half of that application security. So well aware of the, of the importance of that. Um, but I'm talking about more 
the management of the who and the what and the how and be able to like permit or not permit some things. Certain use cases, you don't want data to be exposed to the wrong folks, you know? And so giving people in that responsibility control of that is, is essential to getting more comfort at least um, in the early days. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, for, for somebody who might be listening, who you know, hasn't necessarily, uh, embarked on a citizen development, uh, builder journey, like what you've described, um, what are some of the very first steps that you would recommend? Uh, how, how would you suggest somebody get started? I think a couple of things. One, one thing that was interesting, and we, this took us a little while to understand it. Um, Accenture talks about iTechnologists, which is their notion of democratization of application development. And they did some research that sort of showed a really interesting delta that, that nearly 90%, and this wasn't just CIOs, it was CXOs, would have loved to actually decentralize some of this application building and some of these workflow building. They, they, want, they love the notion of citizen automation. But less than 10% thought they ever could, that, that, that they could ever unleash those folks to do that work, that they'd want it to do it or that they could do it, that they'd have the tooling to do it. So what we realized this wasn't really about convincing people that citizen automation had merit as a concept. It was that it was possible. And so we'd always that that they could actually build a productive app that's secure and 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 sort of elevates what they either get or through purchasing a SaaS point solution or through some sort of custom build through through a third party or their own IT team. And so a lot of we then did a survey like, okay, what's blocking you? What what why do you think they can't? And the, the three reasons they came up with one, they thought that it needs to connect to the systems they already have. They don't want yet another silo added to their infrastructure. So integration was, and secure integration was like key requirement when people are thinking about low code, no code platforms. And the second was ease of use. It, they know that if people try to build apps and they don't work or they are super frustrating, that then falls back on them again as a problem that they then have to solve for. So a platform that purports to be usable by end users, but in reality is not, ends up being a, a problem for IT and so ends up creating more issues for them. So that wasn't a solution. And the, the third, as always, is, is, is price at scale. Like, is it when you start to get hundreds of users or thousands of users and you start to use applications across, because that is the scale that we get to. We don't build a couple of apps. Typically, they're building hundreds or thousands. Um, one of our largest customer CBS has, you know, something like 17,000 production apps that runs the gamut from things used in claims processing components and workflows to like someone in HR building, you know, an app for who's buying the bun cake for the holiday party. And I'm, and I'm not exaggerating. It's this massive range. So they need to start small and build from there. And that's how many of organizations have done it. Start with that business technologist, keep it contained, see how that goes. Try it at a team level, maybe a couple applications across the team, and then really think about, okay, how would I scale this? How would I bring this more broadly? There's certain problem sets we want to concentrate this in. So that's, um, that's what you see. So that first point you make, that it needs to connect with the systems they already have. Um, Ed, how, how do you and your team remain abreast of or aware of or, or, or um, interact with the broader ecosystem of tools and data that are necessary for QuickBase to do what it does? I can imagine that that evolves over time. It's part of the power of it, in fact. Uh, but it's also, it, I would imagine, adds a degree of complexity to how you manage the ongoing evolution of your solutions as well. Talk a bit about how you think about that. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. It's a great question. So 
always we've had some forms of integrations and since nearly the beginning and some of it was as basic as sort of syncing asynchronous kind of um, reach in pull information out we've done that obviously we had to build more complex apis which extend you beyond citizen developers they're not they're not working with apis that's when you sort of cross through and people in the it organization development have you know embraced it we bought an organization um, about two years ago that we now call pipelines and it is if there's citizen automation for building an app, this is citizen development for integrating apps. And it is a drag and drop integration capability. We pre-built channels into 40 of the most commonly used SaaS applications. We also have a channel into ODBC so we can get at data that might be on-prem in systems that people want access to. And so it, it allows these citizen builders to to get at, it's not usually bulk, there's some bulk. It's more like, no, no, I specifically just want to look in in real time and just pull out, you know, these these delinquent accounts out of NetSuite that reads this criteria, and then I want to connect it. I want to go to Salesforce and pull out who owns that account on my sales team, and I want to automatically generate a Slack notification to them. Like that's the kind of thing we're not taking whole amounts of data and into another system. It's usually just very discrete and specific pieces of information, and so that integration is usually it's our, our users saying. This is what I want to do. This is what I've been asking and I'm struggling to get done. How could I do this in the QuickBase platform? Well, wow, it's very, very compelling. I appreciate you providing an overview on, on citizen development, on no-code uh, technology and the evolution of your company and its role uh, in, in this ongoing uh, uh, evolution that's happening across uh, the, the business landscape. Ed, uh, Ed Jennings, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been great to speak with you and learn a little bit more about, uh, about your company and your vision for the future. Thanks so much, Peter.